You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. If you missed it earlier, I realized that if you just joined the broadcast, you wouldn't know. So from next week, we're going to try and meet uh, in the other undercover area. Uh, If you're watching the broadcast, what you're hearing is a fantastic voice. It's really great. But here in this auditorium, the noise just bounces back and forth, and it's been problematic for us. So we're going to try and change that. And the other good news is that out of this 21-day corporate prayer and fasting, we were telling the church we've got a big gap between what we need to pay for the fit-out to move into Town Square, a difference of 148000 with 100000 that we had allocated to move there. And so graciously, the school that I work for as a bivocational pastor, they're donating $30,000 to help us to move into our new venue. You've got to give glory to the Lord for that. That's a big step right there. So uh, we're going to count the days now. It's going it's to be very quick. And I'm just hearing back from one other builder. And if I don't hear back uh, by mid this week, we're going back to the first builder. We're going to have to spend all that money. But it's going to be so good. And yes, uh, this particular builder, the original one, said that we can cut costs if we're happy to paint, which we're going to do. But you'll need some training with that. And uh, we just need to make sure we're touching base with Marty. Marty's going to hit up the painting. And also, we're going to be having to glue the carpets down for the the whole auditorium and uh, most of that kids' area. The whole place needs to be carpeted. So it's beautiful. You're going to love it when you see it. So isn't that amazing? We're so close. So thank you for your generous giving. Keep that up. And uh, for those that are not aware, at Live City Church, we don't take up tithes and offerings during the service because we're trying to train you to become mature believers in Jesus. And if you have not yet heard the teaching on tithes and offerings, you need to come see me and come and join us for Foundations class. We've got a a great class right now. This is our second or third class. First one of the year, but the third that we've run since we've begun. And it's been really, really good. As a result, we've seen people putting their hands up to join our teams and serving. Uh, We've seen giving starting to increase because you're maturing. You're growing now. You understand this. Uh, For those that like, they don't like to give online because you're not sure where the card goes to, we understand that. We also have a box set aside for you where you can give there. But for the vast majority of our church, we give online, and it's really working for us. So God bless you for that. And on the odd occasions, we'll have a guest speaker, and we feel moved by the Lord. We'll say, look, we'll take up tithes and offerings. That may be the only time a basket is handed out. But really, we really want you to receive the word and not feel obligated if you're a visitor in our house. So this morning, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. Most of you these days have a smart device, as I do, and I use it all the time. And, you know, as long as you can behave yourself (laughs) and not check Facebook, unless you're updating statuses or chatting on the live feed, I want you to use that smartphone. I want you to use that smart device and redeem it for the kingdom. So let's turn together to 2 Samuel and chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 12 this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 6 
and reading together from verse 12. I'm reading from the NIV version. So if you can, follow with me in your Bibles. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Verse 14, David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty, Yahweh. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Wow. What an incredible passage of Scripture that tells us of what happens when a heart is filled with offense. I want to give you a bit of context to the story. It's an unusual story. It is a love story gone wrong. Those of you that were here last week heard the message of a, an incredible and famous love story that was so ridiculous. Get your hands on that one. And this one, unfortunately, the love story did not end well. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 20, now Saul's daughter Michal was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. You see, king, uh, before David was king, he, was, he, he came up out of nowhere, some nomad shepherd, you know, out in the fields, and he comes and de defeats Goliath, and everyone's attention was on this kid, about 13 years old, and he's growing up in the household of King Saul. King Saul did not want him to go back to his father's home. He wanted him to stay with him. He wanted to keep an eye on him. He was a champion, 
And Saul tried to give him ridiculously difficult tasks to do. But every task that King Saul gave David to do, David did it and then some. He continued to bring glory to the kingdom of Israel, but there was a flaw in King Saul's leadership. He was a narcissist, and he could not get away from this. He wanted to be the only champion of Israel. He wanted all the eyes of Israel to see him, and he struggled when someone who was particularly younger than him started coming up the ranks, and he could not handle the, the ability for someone else to receive more glory than him. It was sung on the streets, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, he couldn't handle that. The Bible tells us that in order to secure the deal, he wanted to make sure that this boy would become part of his household. And though normally the eldest daughter, Miriab, would be married off first, King Saul found out that Michal, his younger daughter, was in love with David. It wasn't a forced marriage. Now, you've got to understand this is unusual. What normally happens in these circumstances is a king or, or, sorry, or, or a prince and a princess would be married off without any choice. It was not a marriage of love. It was a marriage of convenience. But this was what was unusual about the story was that she was genuinely in love with David. And so King Saul saw an opportunity to manipulate David through this relationship. But as time went on, we discover that King Saul's anger just continued to consume him. The Bible says that because he continually disobeyed the Lord, Instead of an anointing of God that attracted the Holy Spirit, the Lord allowed a demonic evil spirit to come upon Saul. And David, who was gifted in playing a guitar, what, what is the equivalent of a guitar today, a lyre, a harp, he would play, and such was the anointing upon David that demons would scream and leave King Saul. Come on, that is really awesome. Just by singing... So I'm saying to the worship leaders, you know, imagine as you're singing songs and to the band, as you're playing, demons scattering. I'm believing for that day to happen in this house. And Michael just continued, that's how it's also pronounced, Michal, Michael, continued to love David. And the story goes on to say that in one occasion, this started getting more violent, King Saul would hurl a spear at David while he's playing his instrument. I hope that doesn't happen in the house of God. Sometimes there's daggers there. Sometimes we see this, don't we? Worship leaders and guitarists and drummers, you know, musicians. We see the hands that are folded and the stink face on there on you. You know the stink face? We call it the, uh, the behind the cat look. You know, <laughs> there's the tail and there's a face. Just no, no glory. There's no joy to be in the house. And these guys, that's like the daggers we receive. But we continue to sing and we continue to lead in worship because the glory of God will come. When you begin to just worship him with abandon, when you lose yourself in the worship and you genuinely want the presence of God, he can't help himself. Well, the daggers can sometimes come from our people. The, the spear came from King Saul and almost hit David multiple times he did that. And one final attempt, the Bible says that Saul, and this is overheard, wanted to kill David. And so Michal find out, found out, and she says, you need to escape right now. And she helped him to climb down the wall of her bedroom outside where he ran away. 
And then this is really weird. She picked up a household idol. King Saul had idols in his household. Think about that. He's supposed to be serving the Lord. He's just gone so wild. He's gone so far away from God. Not only is he not worshiping the Lord or hearing what God's saying, he is now substituting the presence of God with idols to make up for this loss. And so it must have been pretty big because she put it in the bed where he would lie. And that black hair of the idol was just sort of, you can see just a little bit of it as the light was, was dark. And so King Saul demanded to see David. And she says, oh, he's sleeping. He's sleeping. She's buying him time to escape. And Saul says, I don't care anymore. He waited some time. He says, go get David. If you have to, drag him out of that bed. And that's when they discover that Michael had, had deceived them. And the story begins to take a little bit of a turn here. Something has happened in this relationship between Michael and David. She loved him. She covered for him. She even deceived her own father, the king, for David, her husband. But he never came back for her. He never sent word to her to tell her of how much he loved her. The story goes on. It doesn't get any better. It's as if she was forgotten because then she hears word that David has taken a wife while he's out there in the wilderness running away from a father. She's still abandoned in the castle. Then he takes on another wife. And now she's pregnant and has children. And Michael, the first wife, is still waiting for her husband to come back. Do you understand what happens when a woman is rejected like that? The first wife. In that time period, they could have more than one wife. My wife was telling me there's a show on Netflix with the Mormons where they have like multiple wives and some of the story that goes on behind the scenes. It is messy. Like, can I just say this all the gentlemen, just put that out of your head. I think you're struggling to, with one, let alone more than that. Bible says, you know, in the beginning of time was Adam and Eve. I think that's the perfect plan for man and wife. Just one. I, I, I you know, it's tough enough with one. You know, I love my wife. She loves me, but she knows I try with one. God bless you. But to have this kind of rejection, to be forgotten, to not receive that love, what was she thinking at that time? Perhaps in the beginning she's thinking, oh, I know he's going to call me because she loves me and I love him. She, he knows how much I love him. He swept me off my feet. He's the hero of Israel. My heart is for David. And it was okay for the first week. She goes, he's going to come. He's going to come. And now she's thinking, okay, 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 my father wants to kill him, so he has to stay away, but he's going to send word for me. It's going to come through my brother Jonathan, because they're like that. He loves him, and, and my brother Jonathan can, can leave the castle on the guise of hunting or doing battle somewhere, but he's going to find David, and he's going to send a message. It's going to come back to me. It's going to be okay. The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that word wasn't coming back. And pretty soon she's realizing, he's not coming back. When you first accept that, then it's the other thoughts that begin to cloud your mind and cloud your vision and cloud your hope. Because now she's thinking, why isn't he contacting me? Why isn't he coming to see me? 
Perhaps she's thinking, maybe it's something I've done. Maybe, maybe I, I, I need to say something. Maybe I need to send some word. She must have tried with Jonathan. Brother, you've got to send word to David. I love him. I miss him, but I haven't heard anything. And there's no word coming back to Michael. No word coming back to her. And now she's starting to become angry. She's starting to be confused. Why? Why is this happening? And and to feel so rejected, especially when she loved him. And then now that she's marrying other women, she feels passed over. She, who was the first wife, the first love, became the last. And thus, Michal, or Michael, held on to her anger and despised David all the more. If you're thinking, why does she treat the king of Israel, God's anointed one? I mean, this is the one the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Why would she speak to an anointed man of God like that? She surely would have heard the word that would come back from King Saul, her father, that David spared spared his spear and didn't kill Saul when he had multiple chances to do that. She must have heard the words, and it was repeated like this, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. That's what David said. But she had no fear of God. Look at what she said. I mean, it is just mean. And she says to him, look at this. I'm just going back to the verse. Where are we? Help me out here. And Michal saw him. And she says this, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls. Now, he wasn't naked. And it wasn't just the ephod, just the thing in the front, but he was actually wearing a linen robe. If you compare it to the other, uh, the other story that comes from another book in the Bible, Chronicles, will tell you he was, in fact, clothed. Some commentators say maybe when he was dancing up and down, they didn't wear undies back in that day. So maybe, because the Bible says he was jumping up and down with glee. (laughs) Might have done some somersaults. We don't know. (laughs) You know, everyone saw everything. Nothing was to be hidden. Maybe, maybe that's why she was angry, but it appears that it's much, much deeper than that. And I want to talk to you this morning about offense. And holding a critical attitude because it's this kind of thing that is going to rob you from the blessings that God has for you. Michael's critical attitude toward David did not stem from his dancing. It started much, much earlier and it took the final straw that broke the camel's back before she finally lost it. I know what it feels like. I remember when I was in high school and I was taking eschatology. It was a class. We had college-level courses where we were studying. We're all missionary kids. And we were learning about end times. And I remember Pastor Jim Livingston, just a really beautiful, beautiful man of God. He was elderly back then. He was in his 60s. And I remember he was teaching the class and I could not help myself And I'm arguing with this man, this learned man, because I'm pretty clever. 
And I can use the word, and I can twist it, I can change it, I can, I can come back. And I began trying to humiliate him in front of the entire class, and I couldn't shut my mouth. Have you ever had that problem? You couldn't shut your mouth anymore, and things kept coming out. My brain's telling me, shut it off, shut it off, just shut up, stop talking. And my mouth kept going, and all the students are looking at me, and, my, and the teacher's looking at me. I'm thinking, what am I doing? And I couldn't help myself. When class ended... Mr. Livingston said, class dismissed. Paul, you can stay back. How many people know <laughs> ever had that happen to them? Bum, bum. You know you did something bad. You know you're in trouble. And I, I, a million things are going through my mind. I'm thinking, my parents spent a lot of money to send us to boarding school. And I'm sure they would love to keep that money in their pocket. And I've just stuffed it up here. I have, I have embarrassed this teacher. I've spoken about, you know, I, I've argued. In, I've got witnesses in this entire class. Word is going to get back to my father. And back in those days, children, parents could smack you upside your head. They would take a stick. They would whack you in the back of your backside. They would do all kinds of things. That's just the way it was. All my African brothers and sisters lifting up their hand. Some of my Islander family, you know what I'm talking about. Like Filipino family as well. You know what I'm talking about. We used to do it back then. It happened. And I was scared. I was fearful that I'm going to be sent back to Indonesia. I'm going to have to leave the school. I'm going to be beaten by my father. I can no longer go to school and finish my education there. I'm going to have some third-rate education somewhere else. And I was fearful. But Mr. Livingston didn't do that. He said to me, Paul, you're a, he was so understanding. He said, Paul, you're the kind of person that is able to take a lot of pressure. You've got big shoulders. You can take a lot of weight. And no one knows when they've hurt you. No one knows when they've offended you. No one has any idea because you've taken so much on your shoulder. And that person that speaks poorly to you, you just take it in and they don't even know. You're smiling back at them that they've hurt you and you just wear it on your shoulder. More and more baggage, more and more baggage, more and more baggage. You go, you got wide shoulders. It's coming on and on and on. The pressure is piling on. He says, but son, there's only so much any human being can take. And this was, I don't know what the trigger was for you, son, but it was one final straw that broke the camel's back. And you lost it. And he said, and this is again, I did not expect this. He said, Paul, I want to I invite you to come and meet with me once a week. We're going to talk about some of that hurt that's been poured out on your life. And you've been carrying on to it for so long. You've, you've never dealt with it. I want to talk to you. I want to talk with you about it. I want you to share it with me. I've got big shoulders. I want you to share. And then we're going to pray and we're going to take all that wicked, evil stuff that's been said to you or about you, and we're going to bury it at the foot of the cross. And I remember the first two weeks, and he says, okay, let's just pray together for a moment. He wasn't Holy Spirit man, but he believed in the Holy Spirit. He goes, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to begin speaking, and just very, very gently. And we began to pray, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, show Paul, the things that have just hurt him so much, down to the deepest core of his being, that have so hurt him to his soul, to his core, and he's hung on to this. Show us what these things are so that we could deal with it. And all of a sudden, all these 
memories began flashing through my mind. I'm remembering things when I was a little, little boy, feeling abandoned by my parents, being sent back to live with our spinster aunties while they stayed on the mission field. I need my dad. I need my mom, but we're being sent away, and I was mistreated at the time. My, my beautiful aunties have, have apologized to me over the years. But you can't, you know, I couldn't change that back then. Reacting to that and the manipulation and the things that went on. I don't know if my sister knows this, but my youngest sister and I, you know, they would have parties and she didn't like the fact that I was, I like to play a lot. My wife can see this in David. I just run around. And so she, they gave us sleeping pills to put us to bed so that they could have the party. So these kinds of things went on. And I would tell Mr. Livingston, and please don't report my aunties. I'm a grown man now. I've forgiven them. It's over. But. I was so broken, I didn't know it. So messed up, I had no idea. So dysfunctional. But I'm just trying to keep pace with everyone else and just be normal. And, and I know in my soul, in my heart of hearts, things weren't normal. I was trying to behave normally. And as we began, uh, I began sharing these things, the tears would be pouring down my, my face and all over. I had snot running out. I had never experienced this. I'm just sobbing. And as we began to pray, and we're bearing it at the foot of the cross, one after another. After the second week, I'm thinking, that's about it. I think I've got no more stories. And then the third week, we'd pray, and more stories came out, and more stories came out. I owe my, the, you should thank Mr. Livingston one day in heaven, because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. Michael had nursed an incredible resentment for the man she formerly used to love, and the angry poison spilled over until she lost all respect for David. And that love she might have had before, all but gone, and she failed to honor the Lord's anointed. You see, when you are offended, you will feel justified when you cruelly bring vengeance upon that person that hurt you. Beyond what you might have experienced, you will just go crazy and you will not be able to think straight because of the poison that has seeped into your soul and you haven't let it go. In fact, it gets worse because it won't just stay there and that's the amount that happens. Poison has a way of infecting your entire body. And the hunger that's aroused for retribution and vengeance has to come out. In 2007, Roy Pearson, a Washington, D.C. judge, respectable man, filed one of the most outrageous lawsuits on record when he sued a small mom-and-pop dry cleaner over a pair of of pants. Pearson claimed that the shop's owners, Jin and Su Chung, misplaced his pants after he brought them in for a $10.50 alteration. And he claims they tried to return a cheap imitation pair of his $800 trousers. Though the Chungs felt they'd done nothing wrong, they ultimately offered to settle with the judge for $12,000. A $10.50 job for an $800 pair of pants, and they were going to give him $12,000 just to let it go. Unimpressed, the judge sued the Chungs and their son, asserting that the satisfaction guaranteed and same-day service signs posted in their store represented an unconditional guarantee 
that entitled him to a considerably larger settlement. Listen to this. Pearson sought $1,500 per per defendant for each of the estimated 12,000 days that the signs appeared in the dry cleaner's store. The judge's claims also included emotional damages, the cost of a rental car used to drive to another dry cleaner, and legal fees, even though Pearson represented himself. The total amount of the lawsuit, a whopping $67 million, which was later reduced to a still outrageous $54 million. Fortunately, a judge in the District of Columbia ruled in favor of the Chungs and ordered Pearson to pay back the couple's court costs and their attorney fees as well. In a further blow to Pearson, a committee refused to reappoint him to his job as administrative law judge, in part because of the questionable behavior he displayed in the Chung case. You see, the anger and the resentment that you harbor, that poison because you refuse to forgive, is going to get worse and worse until it drives you crazy. It will drive you batty. In fact, it will actually affect your physical health. If you're wondering, I don't think I'm, offend- I don't think I'm offended. I'm not offended by, that, by anyone. Here's three indicators of offense, and these are ones that I've just grabbed from this passage of Scripture. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 15, 28, all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant, all Israel. That means David and all his other wives, there's more than two now, he married other wives, he had concubines, I know, but back in the day they did that, all his children, all the officers, all the generals, all of Israel came out celebrating the return of the Ark of the Covenant except for Mikal, if you have an isolated spirit, you're trying to hide away in your cave because you don't want to deal with people anymore, you're offended, and you're holding on to resentment and and this offense. You're not letting it go. Perhaps when that person comes down that street, you're the one that walks clearly on the other side and refuses to look at them. Of course, you've never done that. Ladies and gentlemen who are married, that moment when she or he refuses to talk to you, <laughs> you know, you can feel the temperature change in the homes. Ooh, so cold. <laughs> she won't talk to you. And you try and make a joke and you try to do the usual thing. You realize, nah, I'm going to have to go backwards. I'm going to have to work really hard to soften this one. An isolated spirit. Here's the second one. The Bible says in verse 16 of our passage today, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window when she saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart, even when he's serving the Lord. She's despising him. He's in a ministry position, and she despises him. Here's the second one. You might have a critical or vengeful spirit. You just want him to roll over and die. You are praying to God that lightning would strike him where he stands. It is a critical, vengeful spirit. Here's the third key. Might give you a tip as to, actually I've got four, just realized. Here's the third one that will tell you you've got this problem. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, remember Cain and Abel at the beginning of time, both made a sacrifice But Cain gave an offering. 
He had the idea first. I want to give an offering to the Lord because he's been so good to me. And so he was very good at, at farming. He could grow anything. You name it, he could grow it. And so he brought some of his fruit and his vegetables and put it on an altar to offer to the Lord. But the Bible says his younger brother saw him do that and wanted to give something better. And he gave a sacrifice, something that actually cost him something. And he offered that to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that God accepted Abel's sacrifice. And consequentially, that means he rejected Cain's. And Cain couldn't deal with that. You see, according to the commentators, when it says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, fire came down from heaven and consumed it, and you could smell barbecue. Whereas for Cain, for many days, that rotting fruit served as a reminder with the maggots and the stink coming from that altar that God rejected your offering. And he couldn't deal with it. And God says this in Genesis 37, verse 4. Sorry, Genesis 4, verse 6. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? That's another telltale sign. If there is no joy in your countenance, if you're struggling to smile, I love how my mother-in-law says this when she sees a really nasty clerk at the counter <laughs> and their face is, you know, like that, with the cat. She'll say, don't smile, it might break your face. She does that. And if she does that, we're just sort of, wow, <laughs> go for it. Because <laughs> she wants him to be nice, and then she'll smile <laughs> at the back. But the Lord says, why is your face downcast? Go look in the mirror sometime and have a look. Listen to what people are saying about you. Your children will say this to you. Mom, why are you so angry all the time? That's the usual sign. Dad, what are you so angry for? That's a sign. Here's the fourth sign that you're struggling with offense. Verse 23 says, And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You have a barren spirit. You just can't seem to produce fruit in your life. It feels like you take one step forward and you're taking two steps back. You can never seem to get ahead. You can never seem to get successful. You can never seem to be cut some slack. And you're wondering, I feel like there's a curse on my life. There is. Because you haven't forgiven. So how do we deal with this offense? That's what I want to know. That's the good news of the message today. Because we can't leave it there. In Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It's not on you. If that person offended you, it's not on you. Don't be offended with them. Let it go because God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will avenge. Oh my goodness, you do not want to be avenged by the living God, okay? If you do something stupid to someone else, you better get on your knees and ask for forgiveness and ask that person for forgiveness because watch out when God begins to deal with you. So you don't have to worry about that. Those of you feeling offended, let it go. Anger fed by offense just becomes a terrible poison that doesn't just affect your life, it will control your life. And it will hurt those who are closest to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 27, it gives us this warning. In your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We do this in premarital counseling. We say to our, our couples, whatever you do, before your head hits that pillow, ask for forgiveness. Make it right with them. You may not be able to fix all the problems, but just make sure that you connect once again. Make peace before your head hits that pillow. Why? Because if you do not make peace, the Bible warns us, you are giving the devil a foothold in your life. James 1 verse 20 says, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You can't live righteously while you're angry, while you're carrying offense. Psalm chapter 4 verse 4 says, In your anger do not sin when you're on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. Selah, which means meditate on that. So let me give you very quickly four keys to get rid of offense, to, uh, to deal with offense. Are you ready for it? If you're taking notes. Number one, recognize it is not possible to avoid offense. Some of you, you're just sort of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shield myself against offense. I'm going to protect my kids. I don't want to be bullied. I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want myself to be hurt. I've been hurt once. I don't want to be hurt again. So I'm just going to, I don't know, I'll avoid people. Uh, I'll just go get what I need. I won't go shopping anymore. I'll just purchase things online. You try and do all these things. But the thing is, like we read earlier, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, offenses are going to come. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're going to be offended. Turn to your other person and say, neighbor, but I will not offend you. Because everything inside of us doesn't want to be offended, but I'm telling you, it will. You are going to be offended. You will be outraged. You will be humiliated. You will be shamed. You will be passed over for promotion. It happens. You, uh, you may not be acknowledged for your effort. It's going to be missed. Someone's going to miss acknowledging you for your contribution. You are going to be given the smaller piece of pie. You will not get enough likes on your social media posts from your best friends. Don't give in to offense. You are going to be offended. The Bible teaches us in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 21 to 22, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. We've done it. We have offended people and yet somehow we're so shocked when someone offends us. I can't believe they did that to me. Do they know who I am? I don't know. Do you know who they are? So easy to, to be offended today like never before. But I want you to listen to this and write this one down. Opposition creates the environment for change. God will allow it. God says, I permit it. Go ahead. I want you to offend Gregor. Because it's going to do him good. Go ahead. I want you to offend Karee because she's going to grow strong and become a woman of God. Go ahead and offend Marty. I let you. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Do it. Because he's going to become stronger out of this. He won't even recognize himself. 
God will allow opposition to change you, to strengthen you, to build you up, to increase your wisdom and understanding, and to mature you in love. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. This is classic. It says, He or she who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. He who covers over an offense promotes love. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Second key to how to recover from offense. Be strong in the Lord. You can't help the fact that you are going to get offended. You will time and time and time again, especially in today's climate. But you need to be strong in the Lord. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says, They, Paul and Barnabas, encouraged the saints, them, to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I put it to you that God will send you hardships He will send you offense because he wants you to earn the right to get into the kingdom. You have to fight for it. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent people take it by force. God isn't going to just give you an easy ride. Not that I'm a Christian, everything's going to be okay. Praise the Lord, it's going to be good. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says things are going to get tougher because you're going through the narrow way. There's a highway to hell, and that's going to be easy. It is got coated in bitumen. It is smooth. You can take a Porsche down that highway to hell. You can do 300 kilometers an hour if you wish. But on the narrow path that leads to righteousness, it's going to be bumpy. It's going to have potholes. It's going to be difficult. You know that there's an actual, this is another true story of a lawsuit. One man sued his mom and dad because he was ugly. I kid you not. The premise of his case was this. He was saying to his parents, if this is the best you can do, you should never have had children in the first place. You're too ugly to have kids. (laughs) So he sued his parents. True story. The man was weak, and he had no strength to take responsibility for his own life. Turn to the person next to you and say, I know you ain't ugly. (laughs) Turn to the person behind you and say, I know you got responsibility. (laughs) To all the kids, turn to your parents and say, I ain't going to sue you. (laughs) That's right. Come on, baby. Bring it here. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Write that one down, Proverbs 24, 10. I want you to just tattoo that. Use your pen and write it on the neck of the person in front of you. Proverbs 24, 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, if you are giving in in the time when things get hard, he's saying your strength is small. The Bible's calling us to be more than overcomers. God made it a way for you to become more than overcomers, but at the slightest whim, at the slightest fancy, when things don't go your way. (laughs) That's so mean to me, Pastor. I'm going to put it on Facebook. 
No pain, no gain. Don't give up. Adversity is a reality. Learn to face them. I'm going to go real quick with number three and four. I'll get Katie to come up. Number three, be the first to make peace. What are the numbers? Number one, recognize it's not possible to avoid offense. You will be offended. Number two, be strong in the Lord. Number three, be the first to make peace. Forgive. Well, what do we say? I'll forgive when they apologize to me. I'll forgive when they change their wicked ways. I'll forgive when they come crawling on glass and they're bleeding and they're weeping in front of me. Forgive me. Then I'll forgive them. It ain't going to happen. You're waiting for them to apologize, but they've moved on. I mean, I've seen this happen. Unfortunately, it happens in marriages. Hey, honey, he's got married. He's got kids. He's living it up on the Gold Coast. He's living it up on the Sunshine Coast. He's got sun. He's got sailing ships and boats and vessels. They're living it up. Meanwhile, you're still just angry and angry and angry, and you're dwelling on the past. Forgive me if you think I'm making light of it. I'm not. So how can we find it in our hearts to forgive? Can I give you the answer to that? I, Pastor, I, I, really, I really am struggling to forgive. Can I tell you the answer? You can't do it. You can't forgive in your own strength. When things are so bad like that, you can't forgive in your own strength. Corey Ten Boom famous Dutch preacher. Her parents were hiding Jews when Hitler was searching for them to kill them, send them to the gas chambers. They were hiding them until they got caught. She lost her mom. She lost her dad. She lost her sister. She's the only one that walked out alive. And she praises the Lord for releasing her. And she got up on stage one day, and she was preaching on forgiveness. Praise the Lord. Forgiveness. And she preached up a storm. At the end of the service, people came up to shake her hand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that beautiful word. And as she reached up for the next hand, she looked at the white skin and looked up at the, at the blue eyes, piercing blue eyes and blonde hair. She recognized one of the guards in her concentration camp that killed her parents. And he looked at her and says, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? She records in a book, she was so angry. She was so bitter, and she didn't even know it was there. She had not forgiven the guards. She had not forgiven them. And she's having this conversation as she's wrestling with the Lord. God, I can't forgive. God, I can't forgive. I remember what this man did. I saw him in the prison. I saw how he mistreated the other prisoners, but he hurt my parents. I refuse to forgive him. And the Lord was, she's having this conversation, you must forgive. You must forgive, Corey. And she was saying, oh, God, I can't forgive this man. I can't find it in myself to forgive this man. And the Lord spoke to her and says, Corey, I'll help you to forgive. A supernatural unction, a supernatural empowerment to be able to, to forgive. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 to 15 says, work 
at living in peace with everyone. And it goes on, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You're not the only one that will be poisoned if you don't let it go. It's going to poison other people. And finally, our final one, number four, love others. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. If you come from a position of loving people, I love God, we're commanded, love God and love others as yourself. It's very, very difficult to stay and remain offended at people when God commands you to love them. It doesn't mean that you put yourself in a position to be hurt again. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying forgive them in your heart and love them. Accept them as God's creatures. And here's the thing. Oh, my goodness. I would not want to be them standing before the throne one day, giving an accounting for the way they treated you. Let's stand to our feet as we close this morning. Offense embraced will harden your heart and close the blessing in your life. The sad reality is that Michal could not forgive her husband. She refused to forgive her husband. And the Bible says from that day on, God made her barren. She never produced any more children. The one thing that Jewish women aspired for, that was where they got their credibility and reputation in society, not one child. The only wife that had no children among all those wives of King David. Can I ask you, I think this is a moment right now we need to just give some privacy. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and to bow your heads this morning. As I was preaching, some of you began to recognize the signs of offense that you've been carrying in your life. In fact, you're standing here in the presence of the living God and you are bitter. And God knows the pain that you've gone through. Oh, he knows it. Closer than any other brother, closer than anyone else in this planet, he knows the pain that you've gone through. He knows the hurt. But as you were listening to the message, as you're standing with me this morning, God is exposing your heart. And perhaps this is you I'm talking to. You've got that hardness. You've hardened your heart. You're angry. In fact, you may have not thought about it for years, but you've been reminded this morning. If that's you, I want to pray for you this morning, and I want you, before the living God, to use this time wisely, to be sober right now, not to say, I'm just going to continue praying my, playing this Christian game. I'll pretend, as far as people think, that I'm okay. I'm going to raise my hands and worship, and when we pray, I'm going to pray long out loud. No one is going to know the unforgiveness that I harbor in my heart, but the Lord sees you. This morning, I want to encourage you right now. It's time to let it go. You're not trying to fix the relationship. I'm not saying that. But you're letting go of this debt that you've been carrying in your heart. It's a poison. 
If that's you this morning, thank you so much. Every eye is closed, every head bowed. Thank you for that. As I look around this auditorium this morning, if that's you, can you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? This is for you to tell the Lord, that's me. I recognize it. You've been speaking to me, Lord. I want to let this one go. God bless you. See that hand? You can put that down. Anyone else? Looking around this room. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. Right in the back. You can put it down. Is there anyone else? I'm that person. I have been holding on to bitterness. I have been angry. But you don't understand, Pastor. I know. I know. But you want to let this one go. Anyone else before I pray for you? Three, two, one. Before I pray for these people, perhaps you would like to make a commitment to Jesus this morning. You know that he's not the captain of your life. You are. And it hasn't been doing you any good. You're not happier. You're not joyful. And you're not even sure that if you were to die today, you would be in the presence of the living God. I want to pray for you as well. If that's you, on the count of three, I'd like you to raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. On three, two, don't think about it. Put your hands straight up. One, is that you? Right where you are, would you like me to pray for you? Just raise your hand. If you listen to this on live stream, I want you to email me, yes, at livecitychurch.com. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are an imperfect people, and we try to do our best, but, Father, we stuff things up. Forgive us, Lord God, when we give ourselves more leniency. We give ourselves more rope to make mistakes than we do other people. We hold them on a short leash. We are so critical of them. But this morning, Lord God, we want to give it all to you. Father, I I pray particularly for those that raise their hands this morning. Father God, oh, the pain they must be feeling and have been caring for so long. Oh, God, that your word would ring true in their heart. That, Lord God, you will take every burden. You will take every weight. You will take that poison from them and remove it as far as the east is from the west. And your word also tells us because they forgave their brother, they forgave their sister, the word of God tells us that your Father in heaven forgives you. And now you are in right relationship with the Lord. And now you can be blessed of the Lord. And Father, I pray that there will be a noticeable change upon them, Lord God. From the moment they, the service finishes, a joy would flood their soul. Father, right now I ask that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with joy. Fill them with hope. Fill them with peace. And let your dreams and visions come flooding upon them once again of a brighter future and of a great hope. In Jesus' name, if you agree with me, say amen around this church. Hallelujah. Let's give a hand to those right now that have been made right in the journey with the Lord. Oh, come on. You can do better than that, Live City Church. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.